All right, here we go. We're over in 1 Samuel, chapter 13. At a nursing home in Florida, there was a resident group. They were discussing all their ailments. How many have ever been in a nursing home and they're all sitting around talking about what hurts? One said, my arms are so weak, I can barely lift my coffee. The other one said, my cataracts are so bad, I can barely see my coffee. (laughs) Another one said, my neck is so filled with arthritis, I can hardly turn my head. Man, I'll tell you, just going over, a couple other people in the group, they were not, oh yeah, 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 I I felt that one. Uh Uh, Another one said, my blood pressure medication makes me dizzy. And as they all kind of affirmed with each other how much it was tough, you know, one guy got up there and he, he said, well, I guess just just the price of getting old. After that, there was a bit of a silence. And then this one woman chimed in and she said, well, it's not all bad. Thank God we can all still drive. <laughs> We've been talking about suffering in the last couple of well, last week we, we looked at some of the teaching, of the, the doctrine on the suffering that comes from the Word of God, that there's good suffering, there's bad suffering. There's suffering that we create for ourselves, there's suffering that we walk into, there's suffering that comes because of the Word of God. And we looked at some of the things that the Word of God has to teach about that, and it's important for us to know what the Word of God teaches us about suffering in order to get the best out of it. But the most exciting part I like to see is when, let's go back into the Word and let's see people who lived it. We're going to look at two people here today. One person that the suffering did not produce the end result that it was desired and another person in which it did. We're going to take a look at both of those. Now, last week we spent the whole time reviewing the whole series we've been on. We're not going to do all that this time because we just did it last week. It's up there on the internet if you want to go get it. But in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, though he was a son, speaking of Jesus, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obeyed him. That word perfected doesn't mean he became sinless. He was sinless. Different words involved there. But what I want you to focus on, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. There are things we go through and there is a purpose for them. Now, we're going to get into some things today and I have to kind of hold myself back because we're going to be in a couple of spaces where I would just love to really get into some some things and to help out with this. But we're going to, you know, maybe some of it will refer you to and let you know what's coming up. But let's get on over here to 1 Samuel chapter 13. These are both stories that you know very well. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time teaching the actual story. We're going in here for a purpose to look at this one thing. Saul reigned one year. And when he reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash in the mountains of Bethel. And a thousand were with Jonathan in Gabeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it and said that Saul had attacked the garrison of the Philistines and that the Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Now it says there, Geba... Most times we see this, it is Gibeon. In the earlier part, it says Gibeah. And there's a couple of reasons why these different translations are, are, or different words show up. But this is the area we're talking about. It's Gibeon. Gibeon is mentioned in, I gave you some other scriptures there where you can find this. It is a border city of the inheritance of Benjamin. What we are speaking about here is a city that was given to Israel. 
And they're taking back what is theirs. How many men are going to fight here? In this initial part of the battle, there are 3,000. 3,000 total. Then the Philistines, they got mad. So they gathered together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, not people. 30,000 chariots. And 6,000 horsemen. That's 36,000 people just on the vehicles. Not talking about the foot soldiers and everybody else. And people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. How many are up there with Israel? 3,000. <laughs> and you see a multitude coming at you. And they came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of beth Now sometimes we might think, well, maybe Israel had not should have gone into war or battled in this way, but this is their land. This is property that God gave them. What is the job that Saul was to accomplish? One of the jobs was he was to wipe out the giants that were still remaining, and he didn't do that. Another one was to free them from the Philistines because they were being oppressed by a people that God did not want them oppressed by. So he's doing his job as king that God put him in there for. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, these are brilliant people. Got a multitude of people. We got a couple thousand up here. For the people were distressed. How many of you ever been in a situation where you have been distressed? How many of you ever had a multitude of people, 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and, um, and so many people with, with uh, swords and spears and whatever else they have for weapons that you can't count them? You can just see multitudes, just as far as you can see people, and they're coming to get you. That could be a stressful situation. So here's the response that we have for people. Then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. Isn't that something that way? When the pressure comes on, what do we want to do? Hide. Get out of the way. Maybe if it doesn't see me, we'll be all right. Remember being little? And you know the boogeyman or whatever it was was underneath the bed. What did you do? You hid under the covers. What good would that do? It's not, but you were hidden. Didn't you feel safe when you were hidden? <laughs> you weren't safe. You weren't any more safe than you were before. You were fine before, but you didn't know that. But you just felt safer when you were hidden under the covers. Because if you don't see it, obviously it doesn't see you. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. So some of them hid, some of them ran. That's a way a lot of us do. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. So he got a couple of ways. You got one group that's hiding, you got another group that got out of town, and you got the ones who stayed and they trembled. How many people did we have? 3,000. Now some of them were hiding, some of them ran, and some of them stayed. We don't know how many ran, and we don't know how many stayed. We don't know how many uh, fled or, uh, or hid themselves. What we do know is they started with 3,000, they don't have that many anymore. They were already outnumbered. And Saul still was there. Now it says the people followed him were trembling. It does not say that Saul was. Now when you look at this, why are they in this situation? How many have ever asked why you are in this situation? Why is this going on? Why is this happening to me? Anybody ever been in that spot? And you begin to think, you know, well, you know, if, if I'm in this situation, God must have a purpose for it. That's one of the lies from the pit of hell that keeps people in, in troubled situations. Just because you're involved does not mean that God got you there. Doesn't mean that God even wants you there. You ever heard the, the, I've heard people say this all my life. 
and we'll get it. We this is something we're going to get into. It is coming up. How many of you believe that God will never put more on you than you can handle? <laughs> All right, we'll have some fun with that. Because if you're going to believe that, you ought to believe it because the Word of God either taught it to you or you, you learned it correctly. Don't believe something wrong. Because sometimes we're going into this thing, well, God must think that I can handle this. Has anyone in the Word of God ever received more than they can handle? What makes you different? <laughs> well, have fun. Man, I thought that my, my, my long time. I used to heard, hear this, thought, thought about that, but... Glory to God, we get into the Word of God. Just because you're in it doesn't mean that you can't handle it. And just because you're in it doesn't mean God doesn't want you to handle it. But it also doesn't mean that God does. You've got to find out. Does God want me in this? Does God want me to handle this? Or am I in the wrong spot? You figure that out instead of just sitting there and endure it. Because sometimes Christians have endured some things they didn't need to. And sometimes we got out before we should have. Just because the heat is turned up does not mean you should get out of the pool. Well, amen, that's so anyway. <laughs> Come on, have you ever been in a, in a hot, hot situation? You know, my wife and I have been married 21, 21 22, 23, somewhere in there. <laughs> it just seems like a long time. <laughs> no, we were married in 90. We were married 22 years. And you know, over the course of that 22 years, we never one time thought of giving up. You all look stunned. <laughs> no, you know why people are married a long time? Not because they never thought of giving up, but because they didn't. Well, amen, that's so anyway. <laughs> you know why some people got divorced? Because they decided not to stay married. You know why some people quit the call of God in their life? Because they decided to. Because the heat got too, too much. Just because the heat got turned up doesn't mean you should go anywhere. Daniel's in the lion's den. <laughs> His buddies got thrown into a fiery furnace. That's some heat. <laughs> Paul got beat, stoned, Thought he was dead. He gets up, goes back into the city, shipwrecked, floating around the deep, hungry. What's he say? Man, this is more than I bargained for. I'm out of here. No. But I want you to learn here today. This is what I want you to get out of this, this part today. If it's suffering because of the things of God and you get out, you will come back to that same situation before it's over. If it's suffering because of your own stupidity, repent, Get it fixed. But if God has called you to do something, then He wants you to go through it. When God called Moses to go down and free the people of Israel, did He say, this is going to be the easiest thing you ever did? <laughs> when He called Paul, did, he, did the prophet say to Paul, I want you to tell Paul I've called him for this and tell him it's going to be the easiest thing he ever did? What did, the, what did they say? He's going to suffer some stuff. I want you to tell him how many things he's going to suffer for my name. <laughs> Mm. But you see, there's a purpose. The reason that Christians don't get better at this is because we don't understand why we are going through what we're going through. How many, you don't raise your hand, but how many are going through something tough right now? <laughs> oh, I mean, you can be going through something tough at the job, in your marriage, in your family. You can be going through something tough in your life, in decisions to be made. 
there are tough things that we go through all the time. It doesn't mean you missed it. It doesn't mean that you are not where you're supposed to be. It doesn't mean you are. (laughs) What it means is, you're going through something. But if you go through it right, it will have a completely different effect. That's why we're looking at this today. We're looking at two people. One went through it right, and one went through it wrong. And the effect is incredible. I want you to see this. And once you start seeing this, you'll see it through so many different stories in the Word of God. Not just these. So first off, did Saul do anything wrong? Should they, are they, I mean, if you were Saul, would you say, boy, I wish we hadn't attacked that garrison. <laughs> I wish we would have just left that place alone. Then we wouldn't be in this situation. But he didn't say that. And if that was the case, they already have a situation lined up with the prophet. The prophet's supposed to meet them there. Why wouldn't he just say, you know, you missed it. He didn't say that. He said, no, I'm going to be up there. We're going to take care of this thing. So are they out of the will of God? Well, according to the prophet would have told them. Are they in God's will? You cannot tell whether you are out of the will of God or in the will of God by the situations you are going through, by the hardness that it's going through. You cannot tell that. How do you tell? Because the Spirit of God led you there. So they're feeling some stress. Where does the stress come from? Remember the Scripture Jolly was saying here? Let not your heart be troubled. They were feeling troubled. Why? Because they were seeing some things. And when they began to see some things, they began to feel some things. Do you blame them for their reaction? Do you blame them? How many of you are saying, man, I'm reacting the same way. I see a multitude coming at me. I got 3,000. We just lost them, guys. This isn't looking good. Now, here's a big question. Does God? Does God blame him? Let's go on. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, which means that Samuel and him had talked about this and had set it up. All right, you're going up there. And in seven days, I'm going to come. We're going to make the sacrifice. You go into battle. So the prophet already knows they're going into battle. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattering from him. So Paul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and that he might greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattered... These verses are so crucial for you to understand. Get this down. When I saw that the people were scattered from me, that you did not come within the appointed days, and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash... He's listing his reasons, right? This is why I did this thing. So Saul is waiting for Samuel. He's waiting for Samuel. What does waiting produce in our life? How many folks, when you are waiting for something to come, you're believing God for something, and you're waiting. And how many, how many waiting produces excitement? <laughs> oh, good, it's not here yet. Oh, I was, I was so hoping it wouldn't be here because I want to wait some more. Oh, I am excited about waiting. Oh, I can't wait to wait some more. Mm-mm-mm. You got a birthday coming up? You got a special present coming for your birthday? How many of you? Oh, I, I love waiting for this. Oh, glory to God, it's two months away. I'm waiting for two more months. No, waiting can produce impatience, right? And Saul tires of waiting. He gets tired of waiting. How many have ever gotten tired of waiting? Come on, we can get t- I can get tired of waiting in 30 seconds. 
Man, I don't know about you, but I can get tired of waiting in 30 seconds. How many of you, when you're sitting in front of a red light, anticipate how long you should sit in front of that red, red light? Right? And how many have ever sat at a red light longer? Either because of the imbecile in front of you who is not going anywhere, who's not watching the light turn from red to green. <laughs> oh, man. And so you are stuck waiting because they're not doing anything. Or the folks that, you know, they just have the slow reaction time going from the brake to the gas pedal. You can tell they took the foot off the brake because the lights went out. But the car's not going anywhere. It's just sitting there and you're waiting. Come on, let's go. One of the ones that just aggravates me so much, I don't know about you, but when you get in a line and the traffic, you know, you see the light and you got about 10 cars in front of you and you see the light turn green and 30 seconds later, the car in front of you finally starts to move. It's like, why does it take so long? I, the thing that comes to my mind is anticipate people. I mean, come on, anticipate some things. You see the light turning green. Don't all of a sudden when the car in front of you, oh, we should go. And if that happens 10 times for the 10 people, oh, we should, oh, we should go. Oh, we should go. No, figure it out. When the light turns green, the car in front of you is going to move. Get ready. But they don't do it. So we can get impatient in 30 seconds, can't we? It don't take long. We can get impatient fast. I don't know about you, but I know I can. And when you become impatient, what happens around you? One word, pressure. We know when they're waiting for that person to go, who's sitting at the green light. My grandfather had a great saying he used to say whenever it happened. He said, hey, it's the only shade of green you're going to get. And it is. There's no other shade of green. That's the only one you're going to get. And you're just sitting there, you're waiting, you're waiting. And you're feeling pressure. And sometimes I have to stop myself and say, Steve, where are you going? Yeah, I'm not going to the hospital or, you know, there's no fire. You know, like that. It's, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, really, all of a sudden you're feeling all this pressure to get somewhere where there's really no pressure there, but you're feeling it. Why? Because you got impatient. Impatience produces pressure. The pressure may not even be needed, but if you become impatient, you will feel pressure. It comes that way. Impatience produces pressure. And when you're pressurized into making a decision, generally you make the wrong one. We covered that before. So he tires of waiting and Saul is pressured to act. Don't be pressured to act. Don't let pressure build up on you and get you to act and do something. Wait on the Lord. If you're feeling pressure, it's probably trying to make you make the wrong decision. Now, being stubborn makes you resistant to God's correction. And you only see how you were right. How many have ever been in a situation like that? Where you feel the pressure, you begin to act, and then God's correction comes along. And how do you how do you respond to that? We don't like it. Because I was pressured. God, you don't know what I was going through. I was pressured. <laughs> this is what Saul's doing. Look at what he says is, is wrong. See if you can find yourself in what Saul is going through. He lists the things that would happen. When I saw, right? Look at what he said. When I saw that the people were scattering from me, 
and that you did not come with the appointed days and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. What's he saying? These are the things that built up against me that caused pressure. The pressure got me to act and to do what I needed to do. Now, here's what he's saying. First off, those under you are wrong. How many have people that are under you? At work, at home, the dog, the cat. I mean, there are people, there are things that are under you. And sometimes the ones that are under us, the dog, the cat, the kids, the people at work, do some stupid things. Do some things that we wish they wouldn't have done. Made some mistakes that caused us to be in a pressure situation. Have you ever been out with your kids and your kids did something that caused pressure for you? They broke something. They said something. They asked a question. Those under you are wrong. Another one, those over you are wrong. How many have ever been in a place where your boss is wrong? And because your boss was wrong, did some things, caused you a pressure, pressure situation for you. So those under you are wrong, those over you are wrong, and those against you are wrong. How many of y'all have people or things that are against you? Sometimes it's just Pico or the rent or the mortgage. <laughs> These are things that are against us. But this is what he's talking about. When I saw the people, when I saw that you didn't come, when I saw the people, those that are under him, when I saw that you didn't come, those that are over him, and when I saw the Philistines gathered together, those that are against us. This is the same pattern that tries to hit us. If you are continually finding yourself in a pressure situation, making decisions, and then when corrected about it, look towards those that were under you, those that were over you, and those that were against you as the reason for why you did it, and you don't look to yourself, you are developing a hard heart, a stubborn heart, and you are resistant to the correction that would come from God. That is a pattern that follows everyone and you better learn how to get over it. Because the people that are under you are going to keep making mistakes. The people that are over you are going to keep making mistakes. And the people that are against you are going to keep making mistakes. The only one you can change is you. You get yourself to be in the right place. And things will change around you. I put this in my notes. didn't have room for it in yours. If this comes to be a familiar tune in your life, take the warning. Verse 12, Then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore I felt compelled, in other words, pressure, and offered a burnt offering. Now notice what he said here in verse 12. Then I said. It does not say, Then I thought, does it? He says, Then I said. He doesn't say, I said to myself. He said, I said. There's a pattern we have talked about before. And it's following here too. The pattern is, the first thing comes in with what I think. It then comes into what I say. And then it comes into what I do. But you don't get nearly as much trouble until you get to that third part. Because you don't get arrested for what you think. Right? No one can arrest you for what you think. Not yet anyway. No one can arrest you for what you say. Might be a few things you might be able to say that might get you in trouble. I mean, don't threaten a dignitary... Send an email about something negative about the president or congressman or you know, they'll come get you for that. <laughs> but um, 
Most of the times, what we say is not what really gets us in trouble. It can get us into some trouble, more so than what we thought. But what you really get into trouble for? It's what you do. It's what you do. In the end, it's what you do that gets you in the most trouble. Now, this does not end well for Saul. When we, I wrote this down. When we bail out of a pressurized situation. How many times have we bailed out of a pressurized situation? This is what Saul is doing. Saul is feeling the pressure. He's in this spot. He is supposed to wait for Samuel to get there on the seventh day. It is the seventh day. He has not arrived. The pressure is up. He's waited day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, even day six. While people are leaving, Philistines are gathering. He's still feeling the pressure, but he's holding out. He's holding out. He's holding out. Day seven comes somewhere along the process in day seven. He gives up on it and he makes the sacrifice. And as soon, the word of God is real clear about this. When did Samuel come? As soon as he had finished, which means God's watching. God's saying, Samuel, don't go yet. If I don't leave now, you know, don't go yet. Yes, sir. Can I go now? Nope, not yet. Wait. Can I go now? Nope, not yet. Wait. All right, now you can go. What's he doing? Is now? Don't, sometimes we look at this and we say, "Oh, God's setting up a situation just to see if if he'll believe him." No, what God is trying to do is to get Saul to be obedient, no matter what the pressure is, because there's the different things he can do with a believer who will believe him no matter what the pressure is, then he can do with a believer who will bail. How many of you have friends that will stick you, with you through thick and thin? How many of you have friends that will bail you, on you faster than anything? <laughs> which ones do you rely on? How did you find out which ones you could rely on? Because pressure situations came and you saw which ones stuck around. You didn't create those pressure situations, did you? They came upon you. But through them, you were able to observe who stuck and who did not. God's able to do the same thing. When you bail out of a pressurized situation, we tend to find a reason or persons responsible for it outside of ourselves. The end result makes us stubborn in our own ways and hard to the training and the correction that comes from God. Make sure you don't get into that. Now, we saw the wrong way to do it. How about we go on over and look at the right way? First Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. This is a different battle. And were gathered together at Sokol, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sokol and Ezekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up a battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines, named Goliath, from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels and a shield bearer went before him. Very impressive, huh? He's one of the giants. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? 
And you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. He'd been here on Wednesday nights. What is the word that came to Joshua? What is the word that came to Moses? What is the word that everybody else seemed to copy after that? Do not be, do not be afraid or be, be strong in the Lord. <laughs> word God, Lord even came to Joshua and said, no man shall be able to stand against you. He took that word to heart so much when the Lord Jesus Christ showed up in front of him, he's ready to take him on. The Lord Jesus Christ showed up in front of Joshua and Joshua said, are you for us or against this? Because if you're against us, I'm coming after you right now. <laughs> And he says, no, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Oh, okay. And he bowed down. <laughs> but he's ready to take him on. Because he heard that word. And it, he, he had faith in that. So I'll take you on. I don't care how big you are. I'll take you on right now because I know. <laughs> but when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. In other words, they got into a situation and the pressure got turned up. And so what happened? These people have not learned how to stick with the things of God when the pressure is turned up. So as soon as the pressure is turned up, they bail. It's the same thing in your life. You are constantly going through situations, some of which you may have created, some of which you may have a hand in, some of which came about because you obeyed God, some of it just came upon you. It does not matter. When the pressure is turned up, do you trust God? Do you obey God? Do you do what He says, no matter what the pressure is? If it looks like you're going to die, will you bail out on doing what God said to do? We saw it from Daniel. We saw it from his, his buddies. When the pressure got turned up and they were going to die, what did they do? Man, we're standing. <laughs> we're staying right here. What happened to them? Oh, they got blessed, didn't they? Yeah. Joshua, pressure got turned up. He's ready. But there are other people where the pressure got turned up, they bailed on the things of God. And it had an effect on them. Had an effect on these folks. And they're always in fear. We got all these armies lined up. No place to take them because we're afraid. Verse 12. Now David was the son of that, was the son of that Ephrite, the Bethlehemite, Bethlehem of Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul in battle. What are his brothers doing in battle? It's real easy. Being afraid. Isn't that what it said? When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid except for David's brothers. <laughs> no, they were afraid too, right? These are older brothers. These are brothers who think themselves better than David. The names of the three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn next to him, Abinadab, and the third Shama, David was the youngest and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and the 
and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. No, they weren't. They were lined up to fight, but no one was fighting. They were all cowering. They were afraid. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of... Where said that? Verse 20. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, didn't just leave them there, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army. <laughs> he, he had all that stuff with him, left it over here, and then took off running. Went out to where the army was. And he came and greeted his brothers. Then he talked with them. There was a, there was a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled with him and were dreadfully afraid. So I see fear can build on you. You can start up afraid and begin to become dreadfully afraid. We've all had situations that have made us dreadfully afraid, haven't we? We know what this is like. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And that shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Oh, this is a nice reward. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, wait a minute, say that again. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Does it sound like he's afraid? And the people answered him in this manner saying, so it shall be done for the man who kills him. All right, let me just check this out. You know, I got two people. To... Tell me what will happen. Well, what happened to the person who kills the Philistine? Oh, they all knew exactly what would happen. They're all dreaming. Oh, I wish this could happen to me. But when they are faced with the opportunity to go after it, they feel the pressure and back off. Every single one of them knows what is there. Every single one knows the great blessing that's there. Everyone believes this is a great blessing. Everyone has thought on it. Everyone can tell it. But as soon as they get into a situation where they're ready to take it, they cower back because... Pressure. Pressure. They become afraid. Now, how many brothers does David have? He's got three here. He's got three back home and he's still here. Of all the, of all the people, the oldest brothers are at war, right? Which means the next ones in line are not old enough to be at war. Otherwise, where would they be? Probably at war. David is the, which probably means he is least qualified to be there. Where do we leave off at? 27? Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. You see, when you don't feel pressure like other people feel pressure, people get mad at you. <laughs> Did you know that? If you don't feel pressure like other people feel pressure, they get mad at you. <laughs> so he gets mad at them. Why did you come down here? And with whom, with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? He's putting him down. He's going to put him down for his few sheep while he's over there in battle, afraid, scared. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. You understand this, people. If you're going to stand in faith for something, people are going to get mad at you. 
And they're going to make all kinds of accusing things about who you are and how you shouldn't be in faith and how you can't go into battle and how you can't stand. And They're going to say all manner of stuff about you. Answer them just like David did. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? <laughs> you just tell them, what have I done? I haven't done nothing. I'm just believing what the Word of God said. What are you doing? <laughs> then he turned from him toward another and didn't say another word the rest of the day. Oh, that's not what it said? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. So he goes off after being rebuked and he goes to someone else. Hey, give me a minute. What will happen to the guy who kills the Philistine? And he hears the same thing. If you're Eliab, what are you thinking? Man, this is a lost cause. This guy is just, he is flipped out. So David sees the same situation that everyone else did. For them, it produced fear of something. For everyone else, it produced a fear of something. It is a situation, it is an opportunity, but for everyone else, it produced a fear of something. For him, for David, it produced faith for something. It is, when you see a situation, when you feel the pressure being turned up, it is either going to produce fear of something or faith for something. Again, we went back over this just a few weeks ago. When you hear something, you have the opportunity to either mix faith or to mix doubt. How can you tell which one you mixed? If you mixed it with faith, you did it. If you mixed it with doubt, you didn't. Real simple. People who are real good cooks, they can tell if you added the wrong ingredient. Now, a lot of times they can tell you which one you added wrong. <laughs> this one's real easy to tell. If you did it, you mix faith with it. If you didn't, you mix that with it. Don't stand up there and say, well, you know, the people, well, my wife, well, my husband, well, the dog. Don't sit there and blame other people. The reason that you did not do it is because you didn't believe it. If you believed it, you would have done it. If any of these people here believed that they could go out there right then and kill that giant and get that reward, how many are lining up? And we're lying, oh, that's, come on, I want to get in there. I want to do this thing. You're either going to produce faith for something or fear of something. Let's go on. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. David is making so much stink in the camp. He's asking so many people that word gets back to Saul. There's a guy in the camp, little kid, young guy. And he's asking all kinds of questions about what you're going to do to the guy who kills the Philistines. And you know what? Everyone else has a kind of fear about th this guy is not afraid. That has to get their attention. He's not afraid. I think he thinks he can take him. It got to be to the point that Saul decided, you know what? Bring him on in here. Let's see what this young man is. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. <laughs> He's, in other words, all these strong fighting men, they've been fighting for years. Look, don't let any of them be afraid. I'm here. Anybody ever watch Underdog when you were a kid? Here I am to save the day. <laughs> this is David. Little tiny dog. Cape on. Anybody ever watch Underdog? Yeah. Oh, man. He's a little cute little dog. I mean, it's a cute little cartoon. I haven't seen it in a thousand years or something like that. But <laughs> What was that? That was Mighty Mouse. No, was that Mighty Mouse who said that? Yeah. Oh, it wasn't Underdog? I was thinking it was Underdog. Mighty Mouse. All right, he's even smaller. <laughs> 
He's even smaller. Here I am to save the day. <laughs> He'd get up there. Oh, I am ready to take it on. I'm going to change things because I am here. This is what David thinks. <laughs> Look, let all those guys, all those strong arms, they've had all these days. They haven't done anything. Don't you tell them not to be afraid. David's here. Get out there and take care of this for you in no time at all. Have this done here before supper. No one else talks like this. But understand, I want you to get this. Every person has the same opportunity, but every other person there has had this opportunity for longer. Once an opportunity has produced fear in you, it is easier to produce fear the next time. And the next time it's even easier. And the next time it's even easier. Until it doesn't have to work anymore. As soon as it pops its little head up, you are afraid. Because it's got a stronghold in your life. It keeps showing up. And you, as soon as it shows up, you are afraid. But God wanted that situation to produce faith in you. The enemy wanted it to produce fear. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go up against the Philistine to fight with him. How many have ever been ready to make a stand for faith, go after something, and people immediately come up and tell you, You can't do that. <laughs> you can't believe God for that. God won't do that for you. Christian people. This is an anointed man of God, Saul, who was anointed by God to be king, had an anointing on a prophesied of God. And the first words out of his mouth to a man in faith, only one he's got in his entire army is, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for your youth. And he, a man of war from his youth. And David said to Saul, your servant used to keep, I love that saying, I used to do this, I'm not going to be anymore, but I used to keep my father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord will, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. I want you to notice something that was repeated three times in there. What does David go over three times? The Lord delivered me from what? A lion and a bear. And he will deliver me from this Philistine. Remember we told you at the salt meeting yesterday? Or last week? That there's an upcoming... One we're going to do... You can invite your friends out and stuff like that on some, some things about uh, what in the world's going on in the world. What David is talking about here, we'll get into this in a whole lot more detail later on. What David is talking about here, this is not repeated three times for no reason at all. This is prophetic. When Israel would become a nation again, they would face three enemies. A lion, a bear, and one represented by this Philistine. The first enemy that Israel faced, and we'll go over all the details of this when we come up to that one. This is just kind of to get your appetite wet. The first enemy that Israel faced was back in the early 1900s. It began as, a, as an ally. And by the 1940s, it turned into a, one who was against them. And that was Britain. Britain is represented by the lion. After Britain, the next one that came up and picked up their cause and then turned against them and went to the Arabs was Russia. Russia's symbol is the bear. The third one 
is represented by the Philistine. And when we get into this, you'll find out exactly why. We're going to, we're going to spend some time on this and, and you'll, you'll see. The Philistine represents the Antichrist because he has the number of the Antichrist. And you can see how he has the number. You can understand how the Antichrist is going to get the number. But we're not going to get into that today. It's just what's your appetite. He says three times, I killed the lion, I killed the bear, and this Philistine will be just like them. And he goes out there and he kills the, the Philistine. Now, how does David kill the Philistine? This is real important. Real, we're going to get into this here. Just it feeds into this. But let's go on. It's going to tell us in the Scripture. So faith rises up in David and he walks into the pressure and doesn't change. This is big. Faith rises up in David. He walks into the pressure and he doesn't change. Fear rose up in the others. They ran from the pressure having already changed. They already changed. They're out of faith. But for David, look at this. It is not the first time for any of them. Everyone else in that army has faced situations where the pressure was turned up and they backed off. David faced the pressure of a lion. He faced the pressure of a bear. And who knows what else? And he did not back down. He faced a family that had no respect for him. Remember we went over this story before? David was not respected by his brothers. He was not respected by his father. He was cast out. And if you want proof for that, find out what happens after this. If you have a son who is called by the prophet and anointed to be king, do you send him out to the sheepfold? They did not believe his story about killing a lion and a bear. And you can prove that from the Word of God too. We got into that before and we dug into this. not going to get into it all now. He overcame a bad family, a bad relationship with his father, a bad relationship with his brothers. He was picked on by everybody. And he overcame. Stop looking for excuses. There are no excuses keeping you from the opportunity that God has in front of you. Just don't back down from the pressure. Learn how to stand in the pressure and take it and say, God, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change. You told me to do this. You told me to stay here. You told me to do this. You told me to get this done. I'm not going to change. I don't care what people are under me, what people are over me, or what people are against me. I am not going to change. So David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk. Samuel or uh, uh, Saul's given him his armor. For he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. Why? Because he looks like less than he expected should be sent out. There's not much in appearance of David. When he looked about and saw David, he disdained him for he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. He saw David coming out. He thought he was the armor bearer of the guy who was coming out to fight him. Just like he had an armor bearer. He thought David was just the armor bearer. This is just the armor bearer guy. Now where's the real, where's the real soldier? You're, you're it? <laughs> so the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. So he's got all this armor and David comes out with a stick and a sling. And he's insulted. 
That's what you think of me? And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will feed your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistine to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hastened and ran toward the enemy to meet the Philistine. So the Philistine got mad. Now he's feeling the pressure. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Is that important? He already told us what he's going into battle with. Why is it emphasizing the fact that the Philistine was killed with a stone out of David's bag and he did not have a sword in his hand? It's real simple. The Philistine represents the Antichrist. When you look years ahead from here, Years and years and years ahead from here, there's going to be a man who's going to have a vision. His name is Daniel. And Daniel's going to have a vision of a great, great image. And the image is a head of gold and, you know, the silver and the bronze and all the way down to the clay and, and uh, the iron feet. And remember that he says that there was a stone that was not cut with human hands and it fell upon the image and the image was destroyed. The image was not destroyed by sword and spear. It was destroyed by a... You see why this is important that it's emphasized? It is Christ that comes as the stone who destroys the Antichrist. And in the same way, David is representing what is going on. David may not even know it. But he does not have a sword in his hand. And he kills them without the sword. Then he cuts off his head. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And the Philistines saw that their champion was dead and they fled. What happens to David after this? He gets he gets the whole thing. He gets the money. He gets to go home to a dad. Can you imagine going home to a dad who has no respect for you even after you got to be anointed king, put you out in the sheepfolds? When the prophet comes to the call, doesn't even tell you that he's coming. The prophet has to ask, do you have any other sons? Well, yeah, but no, he's out there in the sheep. Had no respect for that job that he did. And after he got anointed king, sent him back out there to do the same job. And now David is going to come home and say, Dad, guess what? You don't have to pay taxes anymore. I got you freed from that. What do you think David's thinking? Oh, Dad will like me now. <laughs> got to marry the king's daughter. And life was never the same for him after that. But the same opportunity was available to every other person. And no one else took it. The same opportunity was available for Saul. Now, this might be a little tougher for you to hear because this is a well-respected man. The same opportunity was available for Jonathan. But David is the one who rose up. Jonathan needed someone like David in his life because David sparked the faith that was in him. And Jonathan became a better man because of David. And David 
became a better man because of Jonathan too. They helped each other. Here's the thing I want you to get. Oh, I'm putting an extra letter in there. The goal is that no matter if pressure comes upon you or you walk into it, doesn't matter how the pressure comes, doesn't matter if it just came upon you because it came upon you or if you walked into the pressure situation, it does not make any difference. The goal is that no matter where the pressure comes from, you don't change. That's the goal. And what you learn that is in all the little stuff in life. To not change. Learn to not change with the little stuff so that when the big stuff comes, you won't change. When Israel was wandering in the wilderness, they had test after test after test, pressure after pressure, the pressure of the Egyptian army coming up against them, the pressure of the Red Sea in front of them, the pressure of no water, the pressure of no food, the pressure of enemies, there all kinds of pressure that came against them. And every time they changed until finally they got to the promised land where they're supposed to be ready to go in. And what do they do? We can't do it. And God said, that's it. I'm done with all you guys. We're going to go out there and find somebody, somebody else. He didn't get upset with them when they failed the test the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, the sixth time, the seventh time, the eighth time, the ninth time. He said, ten times you tested me in the wilderness and now you're done. God does not get upset that we failed Him. God gets upset that we resist His correction when we have failed. He wants us to receive that correction. He wants us to have a soft heart so that when He says, you missed it over here, don't change on that. Don't stop believing. Don't let that go. Hang on to it. That's what you need to do. I put this in your outline too. You must learn this where you are before you can get to where you are going. David had to learn this where he was taking care of the sheep before he could get to where he was going to be king. David had to learn this. And David learned, whatever situation I'm in, don't change. If God is the God of sheep, then God is the God of Israel. If God is the God who can kill lions and bears, God is the God who can kill Philistines and giants. Whatever it is that comes against me, my God is greater. And that's what he learned and that's what he stood on. Every situation that you got into and you have thought, oh, my God has forgotten me on this. Oh, my God has not done what he should have done. Oh, and we, we let go. You are letting the pressure change you. You're not getting ready for what's ahead. You're staying stuck. Here's the problem. Every single time that you change, every single time that you allow pressure to get you out of faith and get you into fear, every time it makes you hard to the correction of God. We're going to look more at that next time. If you get hard to the correction of God, He can't get you back on the right track. It's okay. God's okay with you making mistakes. He wants you to learn from them. He wants you to go on. He wants you to be a great man and woman of faith. He wants you to be someone that when he says, here's a job for you, I need you to do this. No matter what the pressure, you stay with it until God says, all right, now go on to this one. You don't give up. You don't quit. You don't stop because of the people that are under you. You don't stop because of the people that are over you. You don't stop because of the people that are against you. You keep going because of the faith that is in you.
and you learn how to hear the voice of God and to stay with it and to do it no matter what. person who does not change. You're going to be a person who doesn't change? You're going to be a person who stands on what the Word of God says to do? Glory to God. We can do so. Would you all stand up with me? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we thank You that in Your Word we can learn the things we need to learn. We've been in situations where pressure has risen up and it has caused us to change. We can't go back and change those. But what we can do is we can learn from them and realize pressure is out to change me. But I need to get myself to a place where I don't change. Where I am steady in the things of God. And though the pressure is out there to get me to stop, to quit, to change what it is that I'm doing, I won't do it. I will stay with it. I will keep going. The pressure is out there to get us out of the Word of God because the more the Word of God we take in, the more pressure comes against us. The more persecution that comes our way. Pressure is out there to keep us from the blessings of God. Because the more blessings we walk in, it seems like, the more persecutions come with it. But Father, you want us to stay in the direction that you've called us. And not to keep coming by and saying, no, come on, keep going, keep going that direction, keep doing that thing. You want us to stay with it. No matter what the pressure is. No matter what it is that we face. Because we have your word and you said, I need you to do this. I need you to get ready. There's a Philistine coming up in your life. And I want you to be ready when he gets there. I'm not sending him. I don't want him to come get you. But I know he's coming. He's going to challenge you. I need you to be ready to rise up. So that the faith in you prevails. Father, we want to be ready. We want to hear what you have to say. We want to receive your correction because we know we can be made better. We want to hear what you had to say for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. One more thing. You remember that Jesus took his disciples up before he was betrayed? And then he took three and he pulled them aside and he said, pray with me that you enter not into temptation. He said, there's a thing coming your way. I don't want you to fall to it. I want you to be ready. Here's what you need to do to get ready. And the Word of God tells us that he went away and prayed for an hour and he came back and they had fallen asleep. And he woke them up and he said, Look, the time's coming. Pray that you don't enter into temptation. And he went away again and he prayed for an hour and he came back and they were falling asleep. And he didn't wake them up this time. He went back and he prayed and came back after another hour. And he said, You still sleep? Rise, let us go. The betrayer is at hand. God wants to get us ready, but we have to listen and stop listening to the pressure. Listen to the Spirit of God. You listen to the pressure, it will push you every which way. You listen to the Spirit of God. The pressure comes against you and you stand. Word of God says, and having done all, to stand. He says, when the storm comes, the house that is built on the rock will stand. That's what He wants for us. Oh, but you got to know what God has said to do and stay with it. Do not move. Do not shift. I'm going to let you know right now, 
Some of you have an opportunity in front of you, maybe for an investment. Some of you have an opportunity maybe for a job. Some of you have an opportunity uh, for whatever it might be. All kinds of things can come your way. If you feel the Word of God saying, take this, do this, step into this, get involved, then do it. But when you take it, don't think it's going to be a bed of roses. Understand, there may be pressure. There may be persecution. There may be hard times. There may be things that go wrong. But did God say to do it? Yeah. That's why I tell you those stories about the jobs I took. Because I want you to know, just because God said to do it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. doesn't mean that it's all going to be, oh, wow, this is so good. Because sometimes it's horrible. Sometimes it's bad. Jeremiah answered the call of God and his call was horrible. Didn't go so well. Not for a while. But don't worry about it. Just keep coming back to God and say, God, this is what you told me to do. This is where you put me. This is what you said to do. I will hang on to it. And I will not let it go. <laughs> because what you are learning by not changing will affect your future more than anything else. Don't change. Don't change.